Amen. Let's uh, open our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1 this morning. Ephesians chapter 1. And just keep a marker or a finger there. We're going to get to the text, which will be verses 3 through 7, near the end of the message. So we're doing things a little different, as I said, this morning. Does everybody have a copy of the handout? Does anybody not have a copy? That would probably be the best way. I want to make sure that everybody has it because the Scripture verses that we're going to use are here. And we're going to be talking about salvation before creation. And many, many people do not know. Many people who are Christians do not know, do not understand, have never been taught uh, the things that we're going to be talking about today. And one of the reasons they haven't been, and one of the reasons they don't even believe the things that we're going to talk about today, is because they have uh, the faulty understanding that that man in his finite mind must understand something before it can be true in God's Word. And I want to tell you, nothing could be further from the truth. There are many things in God's Word that we believe are true, but we do not understand. Can anybody stand up here today and explain the Trinity? If you can, I'll sit down. I'd like to hear your explanation. There are other things that are just beyond the... the, the, the uh, the ability of our finite minds. I remember Brother Billy Maples. He used to talk about the great God I am. And then he would say, our little puny finite minds cannot understand the great God I am. And how right he was in that statement. And so when we delve back into eternity past to see where salvation actually began, we're going into a realm to where God's Word speaks about certain things and those things that, uh, that are spoken about in His Word are things that we believe are true because they're there in God's Word, but they do not, uh, we cannot fully comprehend them. We cannot fully understand them. Now, I prepared this handout today. And by the way, the songs that we sang today were just, just outstanding. Go, go along so well with our observance of the Lord's Supper that is about to come up. Also, that first song that we sang, Come Praise and Glorify the Lord, the Trinitarian aspect of that song. The, the first verse was about the Father's role in salvation. The second verse about Christ. The third verse about the Holy Spirit. And so the Lord has, the Lord has put this worship service together. Like I said, I had no idea that Spurgeon's uh, seventh, we were going to be on number seven for Spurgeon's day in his catechism, the eternal decrees of God. But that's what we want to talk about. Now I have some propositions here at the top of the page. We want to just read through very quickly just to lay the foundation down for what we'll talk about. But here's the first one. What we believe about salvation must be consistent with who God is and all that He has revealed about Himself in His Word. What we believe about salvation, and that's the topic of this series of messages, the, the doctrine of salvation is what we're considering, uh, biblical salvation. And what we believe about salvation must be consistent with who God is, with His person, with His work, all that is revealed about God in His Word. And the other way around is what a lot of churches do, what a lot of people that get off track they start with what they believe about certain things 
And then they try to make God fit into their own theology. That is exactly backwards. What we must do is understand who God is, and then based on what He has revealed to us about Himself, we fit every other part of our theology into who God is and what, what He has revealed about Himself. Now in particular, as it says in the second proposition here, God has revealed Himself as a triune God, as a trinity. And in particular, we, we take note of the fact that in His attributes, He is an omniscient. That word just means an all-knowing. And He is an omnipotent God. He is all-powerful. Uh, we, need, we can't focus on those attributes of God enough. God, there's nothing that God does not know. God is never learning anything new. God is never discovering anything like we do. God knows all things. And He always has known all things. And He is omnipotent. He's all-powerful. God can do anything that He wills to do. God has the power to do. Now you and I, sometimes we will certain things that we would like to do, but we don't have the ability, we don't have the power to do it. If we did, y'all would still be reading about me as one of the greatest Major League Baseball players that ever played the game. I had the will, but I didn't have the power. Now we're going to be looking at salvation from a Trinitarian perspective over the next few weeks. And we're going to see how the three persons of the Trinity counsel together and then work together in perfect harmony from eternity past to graciously save sinners who were spiritually dead. We've already seen in our study of biblical salvation that lost sinners are spiritually dead. There is nothing that we could have done for ourselves prior to our salvation to save ourselves. There's not one, not one iota of one thing that we could have contributed. We were dead spiritually. What can a dead man do? A dead man can do nothing. And so for the next several weeks, we're going to be looking at how the Father... The role of the Father in salvation, the role of the Lord Jesus Christ in salvation. We're going to be touching some of, on some of that today because of our observance of the Lord's Supper. And then finally, the work of the Holy Spirit uh, in regeneration. And then what we'll be looking at is those words that end in T-I-O-N, the shun words over the next several weeks, related to salvation, election, predestination, adoption. Redemption, justification, propitiation, regeneration, all ending in the, in the letter shun, T-I-O-N. There are others that we'll look at. But we will, we will look at those in the context of the Trinitarian work of salvation, the Father's work, the Son's work, the work of the Holy Spirit in salvation. But now today what I want to do before we observe the Lord's Supper is to talk to you about a doctrine that comes up in the study of Scripture that is called the eternal decrees of God. Now, I'm sure most of you have heard about this, but we've never actually preached a message just on this topic, and so I want to focus on that today. Now the definition, we saw Spurgeon's definition, but I have a definition here that, that I like that uh, was uh, the one used by Martin Lloyd-Jones, so let me just give you that definition. It's printed there for you. Let's just read it. What God decided, determined, and ordained 
before he did anything. God has from eternity had an unchangeable plan with reference to all of his creation. His plan comprehends and determines all things and all events that come to pass. God from eternity past, you can think of it like this in human terms, and that's the only way we really can think about something, but it's not, it's not entirely accurate because of that. But God in eternity past willed and came to the place to where He determined what it was He wanted to do in time. Once the wor- world was created, once the earth was created, and He decreed by His Word what would come to pass And folks, that is what comes to pass, is what God has decreed. Now again, we have the power to make decrees. We can speak decrees that we want to come to pass, but we don't have the power to make them come to pass. But God, because He's not only an all-knowing God, but an omnipotent God, He can bring to pass the things that He has decreed. And that is the picture of God in the Scripture. And His plan comprehends and determines all things and all events that come to pass. Look at these verses, Proverbs 16, 33. And I've just given a small sample here for our benefit this morning. Proverbs 16, 33 says, The lot is cast into the lap. And this is a way of, it's, we could think of it almost like rolling dice, but it was not exactly like that. There were stones of various colors, and they would use these lots to determine, make decisions based on how the lot fell out. And they would would would. Uh, roll them or cast them into the lap. But what the Scripture is telling us here is that seems to be by chance, but it's actually every decision, it says, is from the Lord. Here's a principle you can put down bold and plain in your life and in my life, everybody's life. Things may seem to be happening by chance, but in reality, God is in control. He is in control of every aspect of our lives. Can you say amen to that this morning? That's the Word of God. Matthew chapter 10, verses 29 and 30. It says, Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin, and not one of them falls to the ground apart from your Father's will? Just think about that. Sparrows. We think of a sparrow as just being an insignificant part of creation almost. Unless you're one of the ladies that love the birds and go on the bird trips here. But two sparrows... Hardly worthless, hardly thought of by men, their daily activities, but not one of them falls to the ground apart from your Father's will. And then it says in verse 30, but the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Those are the words of Jesus. Proverbs 21 verse 1, we've been studying about this on Wednesday nights in our study of Ezra. And it's just been coming up over and over again. But it says in Proverbs 21 1, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord, like the rivers of water. He turns it wherever He wishes. And we've seen in our Wednesday night study that that, uh, God desired that the people, that His people would go back into the land and rebuild the temple after the the, uh, 70 years of captivity. And uh, He began to move on the heart of King Cyrus, who was over uh, the entire Assyrian nation, over the entire entire, uh, Persian nation. Uh, And then Darius, Zerubbabel, Jeshua, Haggai, Zechariah, he moves on the hearts of all of these people to stir them up and do His will. God God uses men, but He can turn the heart of a man to make him do the very things that He wants them to do. 
And we know that from our own experience that God often stirs our hearts to move us and to take us exactly where He wants us to be. Ephesians chapter 2 says, For we are His workmanship, verse 10, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And then Philippians 2.13 says, For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for His good pleasure. You know, something we don't think about, but even the sinful actions of men are in the hands of God. Now, not that God is the author of sin, not that God uh, approves of sin, not that God condones sin, but He uses the free actions of men who are done in the freedom where they sin. He takes those things and works them for His own eternal purposes. Look at just some examples of this. Peter preaching in Acts 2.23. He said, Him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death. It was sinful what those men did. That with their lawless hands they crucified the Lord of glory and put Him to death. But it was by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God. Later in chapter 4, Peter again preaching, he says, For truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. What did the apostles believe? They believed that God in eternity past determined what was going to be done in time, even with the Lord Jesus Christ. Joseph in Genesis chapter 45 verse 8. You remember Joseph had been sold into slavery by uh, his brothers. And he went through a rough time. When he was in slavery, he went, he went to Potiphar's house and things seemed to be going good. And <laughs> things went terribly bad suddenly. And he was in prison. And, and uh, one of the saddest verses uh, in prison is that verse that says the, the butler forgot Joseph. He was supposed to tell Pharaoh about Joseph's ability to interpret dreams, but he forgot And what a sad verse that is. But all that Joseph went through, and he comes to the end of it all, and he says this to his brothers once they've come before him. He says, so now it was not you who sent me here. Well, I bet they were glad to uh, figure out that was his uh, idea about that. (laughs) What if he just said, hey, you rascals, I'm in charge now. They would have been in trouble. But Joseph understood. He said, it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh, the lord of all his house, and ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. And if you'll flip flip on the back of the page, that great verse in Genesis 50, verse 20, it says, But as for you, you meant evil against me. But look at this. But God meant it for good, in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. Folks, God predetermines what is happening around us. I was talking with Brother Matt as I came through the door a few minutes ago. There's all types of things that are happening in our country right now that just seem to be insane. I mean, sometimes when I'm watching the news, and I know it's the same for you, your head just wants to explode the insanity of of the things that are happening. And it seems like there are people in charge who are wanting to destroy this country. And I believe that that's true. I believe that the people who are in running the show in this country right now. And I'm not talking about party politics here. I'm just talking about whoever is there in Washington. They, uh, m- most of them are off track in how they think about things and how they believe about things.
But I want to tell you, they are not in charge of the show. They seem to be. When you watch the news, they seem to be. But God is sovereignly in control of everything that's happening. He's bringing things to a conclusion. Listen, He may be bringing this nation to a conclusion. He very well may. But that was His sovereign. If it happens, it's the sovereign will of God. I have those verses there in Daniel and Matthew. Um, Well, let's read the, the part above that first. It says, All the decrees of God are unconditional. We're going to talk about election next Sunday. Election is unconditional election. The way the Bible teaches it, it's not based upon anything that man does. God God did not foresee man doing something good and say, oh, I'll save that man, but not this one. Uh, Brother Fred has been teaching about that in, in Sunday school in Romans, and you can't miss the message there in Romans 9, 10, and 11. But all the decrees of God are unconditional. They do not depend on the actions of men but encompass the free actions of men as free moral agents. God takes everything that everybody... Think about this. All things are working together for good. God takes everything that every man is doing, every woman is doing, and He's working it all together to carry out His eternal decrees. The next thing there, and there should be a space there, but it says His decrees will certainly and infallibly infallibly be brought to pass and nothing, and I should have put in there, or no one can hinder or frustrate the outcome he has decreed. Now Satan tries. Satan and his demons, they hate, listen, Satan hates this doctrine of the eternal decrees of God. And the reason he hates it so much is because it makes his eternal doom sure. This doctrine that we're studying He knows that God has decreed that there will come a day when Satan will be cast out forevermore and cast into hell and the lake of fire forevermore. Now let's read these verses here in Daniel. It says, All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. He does according to His will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. No one can restrain His hand or say to Him, What have you done? I think about that verse in Romans 9, Brother Fred, where Paul said, Who are you, O man, to reply against God? Matthew eleven twenty five and 26, it says, At that time Jesus answered and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent. These people who think they're wise and, and have practical wisdom in this life, you've hidden it from them, but reveal them to babes. And this is, again, the words of Jesus. And He says, Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in Your sight. God does what He does because it's what He has willed and what seems good to Him. But now we come to the real heart of the matter in our study of biblical salvation. And that is this, that the Bible teaches this truth, this next paragraph here, this next point here. The salvation of men, and certain men in particular, was determined by God before the foundation of the world. He does this entirely of His own will and grace. Sometimes we call this God's plan of salvation. But God left nothing to chance in His plan of salvation. Now so many people, as I've I've mentioned 
a number of times before, they have the idea that God did His part. They, they think of the grace of God as that God sent His Son and His Son died. And so now the ball is in the court of man. And so man has to, has to respond in some way to that. And, 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 and God is in heaven pacing back and forth. This is almost the image you get as you hear some people describe how salvation works, that God is pacing back and forth and wringing His hands, hoping that people will accept the offer that He has given. That's not how it works. The salvation of men, and certain men in particular, was determined by God before the foundation of the world. He does this entirely of His own will. And His grace. Everyone who is saved is saved because God decreed their salvation in eternity past. Now, the verse is here. Acts 13, 48. And again, just a small sampling here of what we could have included. It says, Now when the Gentiles heard this, this is when Paul and Barnabas were in Antioch of Pisidia. Now when the Gentiles heard this, they heard the preaching of Paul about salvation. When they heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. And then look at this next sentence. And as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. You know who believes? You know who trusts in God for salvation through Christ? It's those who have been appointed to it from eternity past. 2 Thessalonians 2.13. Look at this. It says, But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. 2 Timothy 1, 8 and 9. Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. Paul is telling Timothy this. Nor of me his prisoner. But share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. And then verse 9 is the key verse. Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling. There's the work of the Holy Spirit. In a few weeks we'll be talking about the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit used to call men effectively to salvation. He has saved us and called us with a holy calling. Not according to our works but according to His own eternal purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus. When? Before time began. His own purpose and grace. That's the eternal decree of God. Now just some summary statements, and then we're going to look at Ephesians 1. But this doctrine of the eternal decrees of God is revealed in the Bible for us to know and to study and believe. A lot of people rebel against this doctrine. There's many people who become angered by it and argumentative about it. I know that because I used to be one of them many years ago. When I first got saved, I thought I had done, I'd done it all. I finally did what I needed to do. Now think about a, uh, something that I heard Warren Wearsby say one time. And I think, actually, I think I read it in one of his books. But he said this. He said, there stands before heaven a door. And on the front of that door, it says, whosoever will may come. And folks, I want to tell you something. Whosoever will may come. Whosoever will may come. That is true. That is true for all eternity. The problem is, the reason most people are not saved 
is because whosoever will may come. And they're not willing. God has to make them willing. But on the front of that door, there is the, the, the sign that says, Whosoever will may come. And He says, we go through that door and we turn and look back. And on the other side, it says, Chosen before the foundation of the world. And so this doctrine is given to us to know and to study and believe. This doctrine reveals fresh aspects of the glory and grandeur of God. God is never more lofty than when we see Him as eternally in control from eternity past all the way to eternity future in control of all that takes place. Sovereignly in control of everything, including salvation. This doctrine will cause us to worship God in a deeper way. When we really focus on this doctrine, we are really, we are really there like it will be in heaven where we will see God and we will see the Lord Jesus Christ and we will understand fully what He's done for us. And uh, this helps us when we study the Bible and study this doctrine. It will cause us to worship God in a deeper way. It will save us from many errors. When we understand the truth of God's nature and His attributes, His eternal decrees, it will keep us from making mistakes in other parts of our doctrine. We always need to keep that first. You always begin with the doctrine of God and not the other way around. And then it will give us great comfort. Now look at this one. It will give us great comfort and consolation in this life. It gives us great assurance. As a matter of fact, let me just say this. The only real grounds for assurance that there is is not what we do, but what God has done in salvation, the eternal decrees of God. Now I want us to read these verses before we observe the Lord's Supper. And we're going to come back to these verses probably next week. And deal with them in a little more depth. But I just want to read them here before we observe the Lord's Supper. Because these verses speak about the things that we've just talked about. But they also make it clear that it's in Christ. It's in Christ Jesus that God is able to effect His eternal plan of salvation for His chosen people. And let me just read these make very few comments. But you notice how many times the phrase in Christ or... Uh, because of Christ that is mentioned here. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, there in verse 3, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. That is, in the, in the realm where God works, the spiritual realm where God works, He's blessed us with every blessing. Just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, there's election that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. Here's predestination in verse 5. Having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, by which He has made us accepted in the Beloved. The Beloved is the Lord Jesus Christ. And it says, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. And folks, I want to tell you, the only way God's plan from eternity past could have been effected and God remain a holy and a just God was for the Lord Jesus to come and take our place, die a substitutionary death on our behalf on Calvary's cross. I want to ask you to just bow your heads for just a moment. I'm going to ask Catherine to come and play. We want to observe the Lord's Supper together.